Okay, so it's probably true that when we when we come to church on a Sunday, our our expectation is we're gonna we're gonna sense the presence of God and we're gonna hear God's voice and we're gonna have an encounter with God. Would it be fair to that's generally what, what, what our expectation is that God's going to be here and that God's going to meet us here and if I can say that in some senses one of our mindsets can be is we have God in a box and it can be a rather beautiful box maybe like this box <laughs> and uh, maybe our mindset is we get to Sunday and we, we think right where's God where did I put God um, I left God in the kitchen, I left God on the coffee table from last Sunday, and so we put God under our arm, and we go to church because we're expectant that God's going to be doing stuff, God's going to be saying stuff, God's going to be speaking, God's going to bring prophetic, God's going to bring revelation, God's going to be healing, and so we go to church, and we sit down, and we say, God, get out of the box, and uh, do what you do, because I want to hear your voice, I want to feel your presence, I want to enjoy you, I want to be with you. And then the meeting finishes and we say teas and coffee and we say, God, get back in the box. <laughs> and um, I want you you're back in the box now because I don't really expect you're going to be doing much from now until next Sunday. And But next week I'll look for you again and find where I put you and say, go God, do what you do God, but please get back in the box at the end of it. Okay? God in a box. And Christianity is not God in a box. <laughs> uh, it's an invitation to be friends with God. It's an invitation for the lid to blow off, for God to be with us wherever we go. So I want to talk really about normal life and God with us in normal life. And what does it mean to live normal life with God? God out of the box. God with us all the time. Aware that he's with us all the time. Because it's true, isn't it, that God is omnipresent. Which means God is everywhere, all at the same time. Not quite sure how that works, but he's everywhere. So if he's everywhere, why don't we just decide to imagine that he's with us? <laughs> He's everywhere all the time, so why not imagine, yeah, you're with me. So we're going to talk about living with God out of the box. God wants to get out of the Sunday box. He wants to get out of the box. And what's interesting is, is when God speaks to Moses in Exodus 24, Moses goes to meet with God... <laughs> And God gives Moses instructions about building a box. In a sense, he gives God, Moses gets instructions from God about building a tabernacle. And it says in uh, chapter 24 and verse 15, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day... The Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. 
Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Then skipping down to chapter 25 and verse 8, in the presence, we'll come back to this, in the presence of God, in an encounter with God, God gives instructions to Moses. Then he said, let them make a sanctuary for me. Let them make a box for me, and I'll dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then in 33 and verse 11 we find Moses meeting with God in this place. The Lord, worship, uh, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And so, in the original design of interaction between God and people, Moses is, in many ways, a unique man, in that it says that God spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. But that wasn't really the experience of the people of Israel. And, in a sense, Moses had to meet with God in the box. He had to go into the tabernacle. The glory came and then he would meet with God in a special place under special circumstances. And it's true that Moses does say later on, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with us and with your people unless you go with us? And that sense of going with them I guess was this movable tabernacle that as they moved they would put the tent back up and then Moses would go in the Levites would go in and meet with God but it was very much in a very restricted sense it was in the box in the special context in the special place and then you see later on that David always wanted to build a house for God a permanent house a glorious house and actually God says to David you're not going to build that house but your son will build that house. Your son will build that temple. That amazingly awesome temple that got built. That cost millions and billions of, 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 of currency, of money. It was gold. It was lavish. It was beautiful. It was the prize. And that's why later on Ezra and others, when they go back out of Babylon and see that the temple has been destroyed, they rebuild the temple. Because the box, however glorious it was, it was where you met with God. It was the way God had arranged it under the old arrangement before Jesus. You met with God in the special place, under the special arrangements. And so that generation rebuilt the temple, then Nehemiah rebuilt the city. But it was always, it was always to be torn down. Jesus says, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Talking really about his own death, his own resurrection. And in AD 70, literally, the temple was destroyed under a siege and the Romans destroyed the temple. It's interesting that when Jesus was on the cross, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. In other words, God was saying, I'm getting out of the box. Um, I designed the box because I wanted a place where people could meet with me under certain arrangements. I wanted a place that would both show that I'm relational and I want to relate to humanity, but also something that showed that until the perfect Lamb of God had come, before, until Jesus had come, then there's always going to be a limitation 
between how people and God can interact. There always had to be that sense of there was a holy of holies, a curtain. You couldn't go behind there. If the priest once a year would go behind the curtain and he would there put the blood of the sacrifices there to cleanse um, people's conscience for one year, but it never really dealt with the heart. And they'd have to go in there with a rope tied around them. Because if they died in the Holy of Holies, you couldn't go in and get them. And so they had a bell on them. So if the bell stopped ringing, they could pull them back out. Because you couldn't go in where God was. Because God's different to us. He's holy. He's different. And so the law, all those regulations in the Old Testament were to show you can't keep God's standards. You can't become like God and be perfect to, to dwell with God. Something else has to happen. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for us, as us, to make us holy, to cleanse our hearts, to give us a new heart, mind and, and nature, so that we can interact with God in the holy of holies. God wants to get out of the box. He wants to get out of, he wants our minds renewed so that we don't just put him on the shelf and take him off the shelf and say, go God, fly, do what you do, and then get back in the box. That's a, in one sense, an Old Testament way of thinking. In the New Testament, it talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. It talks about us being filled with the very fullness of God. In uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it says in verse 14, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. God wants to fill people with the very fullness of God. So that where we go... Where we go, listen, we're not going out there and saying to people, come to a box where God comes. We have permission, as those who are full with the very fullness of God, to bring an encounter to them in the moment. Because we're filled with the very fullness of God. We are, in Christ, a dwelling place for God. We are the movable tabernacle. Where we go, God goes. When we walk into university, into college, when we walk into school, when we walk into our family, when we walk into our business, when we go into the street, when we go anywhere, God is in us. And in a sense, God wants to get out of us into the community. What I'm not saying is we're devaluing church because church is God's gathered people. Those who are called out are called into a new community. There's still something unique about Sundays. There's still something precious. 
to be the ecclesia, those who he has called out of darkness to belong to his family, those who love Jesus. There's something powerful about coming together. I do believe still there's a corporate anointing. There's something that happens when we're together that's special and unique. That's why Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, urges people, don't, don't forsake the meeting together. There's something powerful about church. So, I want to talk then about actually how practically are we to live with God out of the box. And going back to Exodus, we see that Moses... When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. And he waited for six days for interaction with God. I would suggest that Moses loved God. That's why I think he talks about Moses talking to God as a friend, talks face to face. And he waits on God. He waits on God six days. And... uh, I'm not, not saying that's what we have to do because uh, we all know that tomorrow we're off to work. We can't say, uh, sorry, I'm not going to be in for six days until God speaks. And when he does, I'll come back to work. But I do think what it says is there's a hunger that Moses wanted to wait on God until God speaks. He stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And then God says, I will show you. He gives instructions. And I would feel the principle there for us is a people who are hungry for God. I want you to show me. I want you to show me. I want you to show me. There are things in my life where I need I need a breakthrough. There are areas of my life where I need ideas, where I need solutions, where I need wisdom, where I need strategy. There are areas in my life where I need to know the priorities. What am I to say yes to? And what am I to say no to? I want to be with you, Father, because you know all things. And I want to be where you are because I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. And I feel that you can see that in Moses. He's gone up the mountain. He's waiting on God. God speaks. And then something that Moses would never have thought of gets given by God instructions to build this tabernacle there are there are solutions there are solutions there are strategies that come out of the presence of God that come out of just coming to God and saying I need wisdom I need your thoughts have you ever done this You've asked God for wisdom. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about your finances. Maybe it's about your housing situation or circumstances. Maybe it's about your job. Maybe you just need God to do something. And then you, you, you leave that with God and you forget about it. And then you come to worship and all these thoughts start going through your head. And you think, oh, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm just here for you, God. I'm just here for you, God. I'm not going to be distracted. Can I suggest that when we actually ask him something, he actually then starts to speak. And it's good to bring a notebook with your time with God, wherever it is, because actually he wants to answer the questions that you've asked him. In the presence, as you give him time to God, he actually has got solutions and ideas and strategies and priorities. And actually bring a notepad, start to write things down. 
Start to write down what you're hearing in the presence of God. Maybe that's the solution for what's going on right now. Maybe God is reminding you of a priority that you have forgotten. A a person to call or ring. So, I just say, bring a notebook with you. Bring a notebook with you. Put a notebook by your bed for what God might speak about at night when you're asleep. For dreams. It's the promise of Joel. You know, old men will dream dreams. The old men and women, people will dream dreams from God. Strategies from God. Revelation from God. Peter, in uh, Acts chapter 10, is hungry. And he goes up to pray before dinner. And then suddenly, in Acts chapter 10, he has... A, a, a vision, a trance, he sees something. It says, about noon, in chapter 10 and verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a sheep coming down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. God was saying to Peter in application, in a moment of encounter, that the gospel is now not for just the Jewish people, it's now for all the nations. And next thing you know, there's a knock at the door, Cornelius, a Gentile, a non-Jew, knocks at the door and wants the gospel preached there. And then in chapter 11, he begins to explain to the apostles why now, the good news is not just for the Jewish people, it's now for the nations. And it comes out of a moment in the presence of God. It comes out of a moment where Peter is hungry, spends a bit of time with God before dinner, God turns up, surprises him, he falls into a trance, and God is then saying, actually there's no non-clean foods, and there's now non, there are now no non-clean people, everybody's included in the Gospel. And it comes in a moment of, I'm going to meet with God. And God, who's not in the box, gives him a trance revelation, which means the gospel's now going to spread to the nations. Anybody here Jewish? Thank you, God, that in a moment of revelation, the gospel came to us. Yes. Yeah, Jesus, reveal yourself to Jewish people as well as the Messiah of the Saviour. But there's... But, it was in that moment that suddenly the apostles are having to wrestle, actually Jesus really did mean it, the ends of the earth, that he really is the one who's died for all people. It comes in the presence of God. It was a moment in the presence of God that caused him to see everything different and have to present to the apostles, actually this gospel really is for the nations. Can I say that as we, as we say to God, I want to walk with you all week, as a friend talks to a friend, whether it's snatched moments like Peter going before dinner, thinking, actually, I'm really hungry. It's an opportunity. I'm just going to meet with God. To have an expectation that God's going to speak in such a way that is actually going to cause us to step into things that we've never thought of before, to explore and to experiment. Of course, the Bible is the benchmark of all truth, and it needs to line up with the revelation that's already in the Bible. But God can speak to us 
about fresh and new things. Like, I heard one guy tell a story that he, he went to the high street in his city, he drew a circle on the floor, and he said to people, if you want to be healed, step into the circle. Now that's nowhere in the Bible, but it's clear that Jesus heals. But God in the presence gave him a revelation to him that actually, for some reason, you step in the circle, people are going to get healed. Now you can't take that as a principle and say we're all now going to draw circles around Plumstead because because that came out of the presence. That was a revelation that God said, I'll show you something and then you'll do it. There's a lady who draws stick people. She can't draw very well and on the stick people she just draws where the sickness is and they look at the picture and they get healed. One lady heard she was um, stage four cancer, um, a tumour in her brain, looks at a painting that says the word hope on it and the cancer, the, the, the tumour dissolves and comes out of her ear because something got created in the presence that brought a breakthrough. And I guess that's why you find um, Paul in Acts 19, people getting healed by his apron. I mean, his sweaty apron from making tents. People grabbing it, and then I guess they're rubbing it on their family, and their family are getting healed. Because something happened in the presence. Something happened by being with God. Not just in a moment, but life aware and conscious of God. That's why Peter could walk along... And his shadow healed people because he'd been in the presence. His very shadow gets so saturated with God that his shadow is releasing healing wherever he goes. There's something about valuing God. It starts maybe just with, God, I need wisdom, I need ideas, I need strategies, show me. It starts with, I'm going to give some time to be with you, God. It starts with, I'm, I'm valuing our friendship. That where you go, I'm going. That you're not just going to be on the bookshelf and then I'll let you out every now and then, but we're going to do life together. Can I say, that's the invitation of Christianity that Jesus is offering. That you get to do life with God. You get to do life with God. You get to be filled with the very fullness of God so that where you go, God goes. You get to know that he'll be, be with you even to the very end of the age, he promises in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, that God will be with you. And you can be conscious of that. You can be conscious of that when you're in hostile environments that are tough and difficult. You can be conscious of that all the time when it's really good. You can be conscious of that. As we had that picture, that um, Fiona, was just, Fiona was just saying about being full of the presence of God. So that actually, it's not just you are telling the gospel with your mouth is not just that you're bringing words of knowledge over work colleagues, it's just who you are. It's just who you are. And uh, Tim and I had the privilege this week of just being in a context where we heard about the, uh, operate, the general director of MI5, who was a believer, uh, the one before, and just saying that it wasn't that he could go around praying for the sick and doing that, he could, but he ran the whole organisation according to kingdom principles and a kingdom agenda of honouring people from the lowest to the highest and loving people and loving in the way they prayed about people and thought about people. Loving in terms of as they prayed for the police as the police guard of the nation and praying for those who were terrorists. Saying, God, actually, you love both equally. You don't love the evil, but you love the person. 
And it's remarkable what can happen if we're just full of God, if we're at peace in ourselves, and that we're not controlled by what's going on around us, but we've got a, a kind of ecosystem in our heart where we're just at peace because we're being with God. And that when everybody's gossiping and getting nervous and anxious, it's not that we're preaching at them, it's just we're carrying something that's different to what other people have got because we've been with God. Wouldn't you just love to have solutions to your workplace because you've been with God? Solutions in our parenting because we've been with God. Ideas and strategies in our marriages because we've been with God. Ideas for our colleagues and friends at university and school because we've been with God. And we don't need to be weird about it. We don't need to say to people, I was with God this morning and I got a prophetic word for you. We can just bring it, just bring the wisdom from God. Without having to, we don't have to be strange. We don't have to be wacky. We just need to be full of God and be ourselves and see how that comes out. The other thing is that God doesn't want is us just to relate to him when something's wrong or when we need something. And so it can be like this, God in the box, we'll let you out on a Sunday, whoa, 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 do what you do, get back in the box, going to do life my way, my wisdom, I'm capable, then suddenly we hit crisis, something goes wrong somewhere, they talk about redundancy at work, we panic, or something happens in our marriage, or our family, or our finances, or a bill comes, or our accounts look a certain way. And then we suddenly think, where did I put God? Have you seen God? And the last time I saw God was Sunday. Then we came back, put the keys down there. Then I put the, the magazines down there. Oh, he's under the pile of magazines. There you are, God. Come out of the box, God. I'm just going to read the Bible to find out something about you. Got to get something from you, God. He doesn't want to just relate to us when there's a problem or a need. Someone said this this week when we were at this conference. Do we relate to our kids like that? Hi. Do you have a good day at school? Yeah, it was good. Oh, that's great that I'm off. We want to hear about it, don't we? We just don't want to relate to them when there's a problem. Is there a crisis? Have you got a need? Have you got a problem? Are you struggling? Actually, we want to relate on the dreams and the hobbies and the fun stuff and the crazy stuff. We want to relate. God does, God's relational. He's always relational. He always wants to interact with us as a father, as a friend, because he's a person, a real person. And... He doesn't want us just to get him out of the box when, we, when we're nervous or we're worried or we're in crisis or we find an area where we need change. He wants us to be with him when there's nothing wrong and we don't need anything. I just want to finally just talk about another area where you can get God... <coughs> out of the box God wants to us in his presence to be free to imagine free to imagine it says in chapter 3 of Ephesians now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask 
or imagine. God wants us in his presence to imagine. And how many of you are good at worrying? (laughs) That worrying is the imagination employed for something it was never designed really to do. If you can can worry, and if there was an Olympic event for worrying, I I would have won the gold for the UK. Okay, so if we can worry, then we can imagine with God, or we can dream with God. So imagination is when we put X and Y and Z together, and then come up with a conclusion which is, which is disastrous, and then we freak out about it. Let me say, statistically, according to one study, only 15% of the things that we imagine and worry about ever happen. And then of the 15% of the things that do somehow happen, we find extraordinary grace to cope with them in a way that we never did in our imaginations. And so God says, I want you to imagine... Our imaginations is where we begin to see impossibilities materialise. So we, we went out treasure hunting on Friday. We're doing it once a month on a Friday, or once every other month on a Friday. We're going to do once a month, or once every other month on a Saturday. And treasure hunting, for us, was something that started in our imagination and freaked us out then and still <laughs> freaks us out now. Obviously, we didn't invent it. It was invented by Kevin Dedman. And the idea is that you ask the Holy Spirit to give words of knowledge about people, locations, places, and needs. And then you go out and look for the clues, the treasure. And it, it started for us as an idea in our imagination. What would it be like to go out into the streets and begin to prophesy life and heal the sick and bring good news? But it started in our imaginations... And then materialised as a plan, and then we're doing it. So I'm walking along, and then Rick, uh, Katrina and I were in a team, Rochelle and Tim were in a team, and we saw that there's Tim on the ground praying for a guy's ankle, Rochelle praying for him, and there's another guy coming alongside. And I thought, That's, we, that was our imagination a while ago, that there'd be people, us, here, out there, praying for the sick in Plumstead. But it started, it was in our imagination, that you could go out with words of knowledge and good news. Like one of the clues I had was had optician and guy with big black glasses, particular glasses. You stand outside the optician, two seconds later the guy with the big glasses is going past. <laughs> it's bizarre. Now I suppose Paul says you've got the mind of Christ, you can think God's thoughts, you can you can have words of knowledge, you can get words of wisdom from God about what, what he wants to do and who he wants to bless. If we look at, say, Genesis 11, the building of the Tower of Babel, it started in their imaginations. If we build a tower out of this, bricks, then we'll make a name for ourselves and we won't be scattered. And so it started in their imagination. They began to think about building something and then they started to do it. And then God comes down to have a look. But the idea began in their imagination. It was not constructed in reality. 
until it was built in their heads, as it were. See, transformation of our life, all about all innovation, all risk and faith, all freedom begins in your sanctified imagination as you're in the presence of God, imagining. Imagining, what would I be like if I had no fear of people whatsoever? What would I be like if I could... I walked along and I just had so much courage and so much of God that wherever I went, the sick were getting healed. And imagine not having any intimidation of any sickness or any situation, but knowing the sufficiency of God. It begins in your imagination. And then you seek God for what only God can do. So it's not that we just imagine outside the presence of God. We imagine with God. And then we say, God, teach me, train me, lead me, shape me, mould me. Because I want to be courageous. I want to be five times bolder than I am right now. I want to be able to do what at the moment seems impossible. Ignite faith in me. As I read the Bible, let it come such a living word to me. That it creates in me strength and character and change. Adventures start as we begin to imagine. Imagining our families full of the presence of God. Imagining loved ones who don't yet know Jesus coming to know Jesus. Imagining our workplace where the kingdom ethos begins to be the ethos. Where people begin to love one another and honour one another. And serve one another. You begin to imagine. Imagine an environment where no one gossiped about anybody in my workplace. But all they did was see the gold in one another. And they just served one another in love. It starts in your imagination. You begin to imagine what that could be like. Imagine in, in Plumsedon Woolwich. Where there was such a transformation of health. That men in Woolwich were not dying 10 years earlier than men in Bexley, in Blackheath. Imagine, imagine, imagine people who right now as they're on a trajectory towards crime and violence and, and alcoholism and addiction. Imagine family after family after family meeting Jesus and being transformed. Imagine if Plumstead, that the word that people spoke about this area was nothing's impossible. If it can work anywhere, it'll work here. Imagine such grace around that there was such pride in the area that people, instead of dumping something, thought, no, I love this area so much, I'm going to take it to the tip. Imagine that, where people thought of Plumstead and Woolwich is this is where you this is where our kids excel in education. This is where they excel in innovation. They excel in, in, in aspirations. And our schools are doing brilliantly because there's kingdom ethos coming. You just imagine, imagine what it could be like, and you begin to take steps with God. I wonder whether Paul, when they went to Ephesus, and that small bunch of people who got baptised in the Spirit, could imagine there would be a day when the people who made the idols of Diana would be so out of business that the tradespeople would be screaming because no one's interested anymore in idols because they love Jesus. 
I wonder if anybody could have imagined in Samaria there'd be a day when they would take their scrolls which they used for witchcraft and they would so be in love with Jesus they would burn them because they didn't want anything to do with the past. I wonder whether we can just imagine our community saturated with God. Imagine even that you got the train and you, you were there in Dartford and you came into Plumstead and you got healed because you'd come into a different environment and sickness has just dropped off because you had come through Plumstead and you'd gone through Woolwich. I don't know. Can we imagine what can happen when God comes? What God could do in your family as the presence increases. What God could do in your marriage. What God can do in your heart. Imagine that thing in your heart that just does not seem to budge. And you imagine yourself what you'd be like. I'm going to be free of it. Because he's working in my heart. It's where these things often begin. In his presence. Then asking him, how are we going to do it? I don't know. How are we going to do it? I'll show you. Here's your first step. Here's your first step. Here's your first step. Even on Fridays in kids' club, 40-odd children, local children of this area. Wow. Hearing the gospel, seeing it acted out, plays, pit stop times, lives being changed, futures being changed. Something's happening. You have to imagine it's bigger than just putting on a program. It's generational. Can I ask us to stand... Thank <laughs> you.